Now, we've been uh, in a series on the means of grace, these instruments that God uses in our lives to enable us to receive Christ and all the benefits of His redemption. And we've talked about worship, and we've talked about the Word, and we've talked about prayer. And this morning, we begin to turn our attention to Christian fellowship. Now, this week, I'm going to lay, I hope, uh, in the Word of God, a foundation for why Christian fellowship can even happen. And then next week, Jimmy will pick up right there, and he'll talk about what it looks like and how it works. Uh, so let's turn now to the Word of the Lord in 1 Peter chapter 2. Hear now the Word of the Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, were, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for these reminders and all of these images as we are prone to forget who we are and why we're here. I pray that you would help us to see your truth and your love for us pulsating through this passage. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you have ever uh, been startled in the middle of the night and uh, looked into the darkness and thought, who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? Have you guys experienced that? Listen, if the answer is no, it just means you haven't gone through a midlife crisis yet. I've had three, so I, I remember the feeling well. It, it's a feeling of disorientation, of, of wondering, what am I doing with my life? 
It's, it's scary. Friends, I think that we as individual Christians and the church, corporate, we, at times we can go through something like a midlife crisis. We can forget who we are and we can forget what on earth we're doing here. Now, that cannot be. Because there's too much in the Word of God to remind us who we are. Too much. And Peter's uh, passage this morning is chock full of it. Um, so I want us to think about I want us to think about four things this morning. I know all good sermons have three points. So just pretend the first two are the same one, okay? But but four things. I want to look at how did we as the church even come to be? And then the second one that that we can connect to it, if you need three points, is what is our identity? And then, as the church, how do we relate to one another? How do we relate to other churches? How do we relate to the people in this building? And then finally, I want us to think about how do we as the church relate to the world? Okay? That's our goal. So let's do it. Let's look first, how did we come to be? Now, Peter's uh, passage this morning, 2 through 12, um, I think there's a structure to it that's a little strange. You know, my sermon is going to be a linear progression, Lord willing. I'm going to do some introductory comments. I'm doing that right now. And then I'm going to move to an argument that hopefully is going to crescendo into a conclusion. That is not what Peter does in this passage. He starts up here. And then down here, he says something similar. And then he moves in a little closer, and he, and he says a few more things that are similar. And then, right in the middle of this passage, verses 7 and 8, the main thing Peter wants to say is dead in the middle of it. Now, some of you know that's a chiastic structure. It's a, it's a literary tool that sometimes the, the Bible uses to focus attention on the main thing. Friends, the main thing is Jesus Christ this morning. Now, I hope he's always the main thing. But in this passage, I want you to look. Now, let's just look at it. In 6 and 7, we start to see something. 6, 7, and 8 even, right in the middle. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, now Peter is quoting the Old Testament here. Um, but this is not the only place that, that he uses this passage. Do, do you remember where else we see this? It's in Acts chapter 4. Now, I'm going to turn over there, and you can if you can get there quickly. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are before the council. They're in trouble again for the name of Jesus. And verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. Now look down at 7. So the honor is for you who believe, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This stone imagery, it, it hops around in the Old Testament a little bit. But it's looking at Jesus. A cornerstone. It's this stone that all men have to deal with. I want you to imagine that we all just stand up from these seats and, and we walk out the back doors and we go on a hike. Who, who has a favorite trail on Signal Mountain? Anybody? What, what is it, Marianne? Falling water? Okay, we're going to falling water. We're on the trail together and we come to a place where we can't pass. And you know why? There is a boulder on the trail. Now, I don't know this particular trail, but I want you to imagine for a minute we can't get around it. There's no getting around this stone that has been placed in our way. Now, we have, we have two options at this minute. We can submit to the glory of this rock and redirect our plans. Or we can try to climb over it. And there's someone on the trail saying, don't do that. Don't, don't try to climb over. I, I've been sitting here for a while enjoying my sandwich. I've seen many people try to climb over this rock. You will stumble and fall. Just submit yourself to the will of this rock. See, right in the middle of this passage, Peter is saying, God has laid a stone, a precious stone, Jesus Christ, Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him, whoever submits their will to Him, will not be put to shame. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone that he's talking about. The one application for our sermon this morning is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? I want you to hear me when I say this. There is no neutral ground in the universe. There is no neutral ground in the universe. There is those who have tied their will and their fortunes and their hopes and everything to the stone of Jesus Christ and there are those who are going to stumble over Him and fall. This, my friends, is the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church, as we have sung in three or four songs already this morning, is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. So before we talk about the church or what it is or, or what it looks like, the foundation is Jesus. Now, tied to that is our identity. Now, Peter in chapter 1 has, has just been laying on the theological hope for the people that he's writing to. And he's writing to the exiles, elect exiles in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. And he says, you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. Now look at verse 9. 
I don't know what your theology of the church is. That is to say, I don't know how you think about the church. I don't know what you believe about it or how big your vision is of it. I think Nathan did an awesome job this morning of starting to show us, lifting our eyes up past the Bachman Community Center to see that the church is something more. That there is something that the Mars rover can't find out there. Send it to Jupiter. Send it to another galaxy. It won't be able to see with human eyes this thing we're a part of. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, friends, does everybody know what a hyperlink is? If you don't know what a hyperlink is, you're, you're reading a website and you come along and you've got text, 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 and all of a sudden there's blue text. Like, what in the world? What's with this blue text? Now, if you click that, you'll never go back to what you were reading the first time. At least I don't. Its purpose, the the hyperlink, is to say, this word or phrase is is crammed with meaning, and we can't fit it in this article. If we were to try to say it right here, we would lose everyone. But for those of you who are interested, come back and click the hyperlink. 1 Peter 2 is almost all hyperlink. You are a chosen race, hyperlink. You are a royal priesthood, hyperlink. Holy nation, people for his own possession. You know, Recently, a well-known pastor was insinuating that we need to leave the Old Testament behind. That it's just, it's hard, it's confusing, it offends people. We just need to focus on Jesus. You will not know Jesus Christ without your Old Testament. The hyperlinks in this passage fill out our theology of of the church in ways that we cannot fit into this 20 minutes. So, all I'm going to point you to is just a few things here. Now, if you're the kind of person who takes her bulletin home and eats lunch and reads back through it, I don't do that. But, but I want to sometimes. This is a great week because there's so many hyperlinks. There are hyperlinks in the songs we've sung and in the, in the creeds we've confessed. And there are hyperlinks in this whole passage, especially verse 9. A chosen race? Who immediately thinks Chaldean nomad? Anybody? A royal priesthood? Who's thinking about the Levites and their responsibility to represent the people to God and God to the people? To be holy and in and even a more way than this, this holy nation. See, this holy nation was a hyperlink to be set apart among all the peoples of the earth. But the priests, this royal priesthood, they were set apart even within this holy nation. Hyperlinks. A people for his own possession. Are you starting to see that the church is 
is it's grabbing on to all the promises made to Israel. But there's more reality. The church is not less than what God was doing back there. It's the, it's the outworking through Christ. It's, the, it's becoming the fullness of these promises. You know, I want to land for just a minute on chosen race before we move on. Have you ever been in the doctor's office and they give you, you know, you were just there three weeks ago. Somebody's passed a law and you've got to fill all that paperwork out again. You all know what I'm talking about? I, I, I want to think that the nurse comes back to me 15 minutes later and says, Eric, are you finished with that paperwork yet? No. It's just one page. I know, but I'm hung up. What are you hung up on? I don't see chosen of God under the race column. Well, you're a white man. I, I know, that, that's part of my, my earthly identity, but, but my true identity, the race that I am most a part of, is called out one. I'm chosen of God. That's, that's not who I am anymore. Let that sink in a second. The church is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, I can't go any further, but... Click on those hyperlinks today. Go back and read Genesis through Leviticus, and you're going to see all these hyperlinks. So how do we relate to one another? Okay, here we are. We're this people of God. We're this holy nation, and um, we've been called out. What does it look like? There's another hyperlink in verse 4. As you all come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Look at this. It's going to blow your mind. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus, Jesus Christ. As you come to him, Jesus, the precious stone, is building you up like living stones into a spiritual house. What, what's that hyperlink all about? Well, the spiritual house was the temple of God. And in some way, the presence of God filled that temple in glorious ways in the Old Testament. But there was a lot of stuff that Israel had to do to be able to approach the glory of God in that spiritual house. There were purity laws. There were sacrifices. Offers of thanksgiving. Offers of, I'm sorry, atonement for sin. Something different's going on now. Now, the church, we, we're becoming these living stones that are being built up into a house for God to dwell in? Is that what Peter means? I think so. Or at least Paul does. Look at Ephesians 2. 
I'll give you a second to turn there. Ephesians 2, 19. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. <laughs> That's insane. Isn't it? That, that our redemption in Christ would be so complete that there would need be no other mediation, that the Holy One Himself could come and dwell in us and among us because of Jesus Christ. Check that hyperlink out. It's going to blow your mind. And what about these living stones? Turn back to, turn back to Peter. I just want to linger here for just a moment. Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. See, we think of a house as sort of a, a passive thing or a rigid thing, a settled thing. But both Paul in Ephesians and Peter right here are saying, no, this house that God is building with you as the building blocks is pulsating with life. Electrical... Flashes are flying all around it. Every time a stone goes in, there's, there's some sort of event. And the whole thing becomes more and more alive. And it grows and it grows. And it covers the face of the earth. And it, and it crosses all time and boundaries. And you know what? We would think it's a tacky house. Some of the stones are, are black, and some of them are white, some of them are red, and some of them are, are brown, and some of them are yellow. The, the architect of this house has, has no taste, it seems. And some of the stones don't have the same sheen. Some are duller than others, and some, when the light hits them, they shine and will blind you. This house is gaudy, people. But it is the most beautiful, gaudy thing you've ever seen in your life. And it's, and it's one race. And it's one priesthood. And it's one holy nation. It's one people for his own possession. It's together. And I belong to you and Christ and you belong to me. And we belong to a Korean church across the world. And we belong to an inner city church that's downtown. And we belong to the more buttoned up church than we. And there are, there are pipe organs and there are guitars in some. There are um, 
little old ladies singing old gospel hymns with constant feedback. Beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, Nathan said something a minute ago that that wrecked me as I began to think about preaching. He said that for all of creation, stars and planets, I don't remember his exact words, there's this cry of worship to the glory of God. There was a voice missing. Do you realize that? After Adam and Eve fell, one of the many voices magnifying the glory of God went silent. And the silence of the absence of human worship of God was a deafening, deafening silence to God's ears. And he determined in that moment he was going to make it right. And the future glory of this house of man would be greater than its former glory. And as God builds this church of living stones across all eternity and across all this globe, the song gets louder and louder and more beautiful and the harmonies are endless and the colors and the brightness, it's all growing up into something that we cannot see with human eyes. It exists, friends. And this morning we've been a part of it. We have been drawn in to the worship that has been going on for all time. And because of the work of Jesus Christ and the cornerstone that God has used to start building this house back up, the crescendo is building again. And there is worship to the glory of God in the church. So what do we do? We've been called out. We've been set apart. We're God's people. We're we're in the world, but not of it. Is it time to retreat? Do we huddle off to the side and wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Some have done this. Some have taught it. Peter disagrees. Look at verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that. That. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His Marvelous light. This is how we relate to the culture. This is how we relate to the world. We don't hide. And our warfare is different than politics. You want to see someone's heart change? Proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. It's how you came to know Him. Right? Proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. This pulsating life that is going through the church has to overflow into mission. 
it has to see that others are stumbling over this great foundational stone of Jesus Christ. And we call out, don't you see the excellencies of Jesus? His perfect life, His life of sacrifice and love, the way He related to His Father, His atoning death on the cross, His miraculous, by the power of God, resurrection to new life, His ascension to the right hand of the Father Almighty. Don't you see His excellencies? Our foundation is Jesus Christ. Our identity is that we are His people. We relate to one another in a relationship of love and mission that is founded in Christ Himself. And we relate to the world by proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ, that those who stumble might turn and in the day of God's visitation give glory to Him because they saw Him in you. Let's pray. Lord, our, our view of what You are doing in our midst is too small. We need these hyperlinks to explode before us. That we could see fullness and beauty and hope and connectedness. That we would know that you will build your church. You are building your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we thank you in the name of the one who ascended on high, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen.